are elite. For everything you need to know about Mercedes Monet's AEW debut, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Once I opened myself up to being wrong, turned out I was wrong about everything. What three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island? This is what I'm asking wrestling's best. In the ring, around the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. Jimmy Jacobs, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, my friend. How are you? All is good here, thank you. Currently doing this via webcam, so if you listen to the podcast, you can't see it. What are the balls that you're holding in your hand right now? They're myofascia balls. So it's like you you rub them into different parts of your of your body, your hips, your back, your uh, you know your chest, and it helps break up the uh, the myofascia. So how did you stumble across those? One of the guys I work with, he's a Sistema master. And Sistema is a Russian martial art, and I've been taking classes with him, not particularly doing uh, Russian martial arts, uh, but a lot of the um, physical and uh, mental and spiritual upkeep uh, that he's been guiding me on. And so these are... uh, these are some things he asked me to pick up. Do you find that whenever you come across something maybe new like this, is it starting the journey again? The, the journey, the journey doesn't stop, right? Everything builds off of uh, off of each other, and um, yeah, in the last few years, um, there has been an increase in you know mindfulness and just a new expansion of new things to play with in in the world. You know, wrestling is, you know, it's been one of my loves for for many, many years. Starting to play some different games outside of the pro wrestling game has uh, been fulfilling to me for the past couple of years. I want to talk about some of those as we're going through because the concept of the show uh, is picking three matches that you'd watch 
uh, on a desert island. And, and as you said before we started recording, it's always interesting to see where people sit with this. We've had people who have a, a plethora of matches that they would choose. We have some people who would say, actually, I wrestle, but I don't watch wrestling, so it's difficult for you. But as you said before we started, like you're not as invested because, as you say, you're exploring so many other things around it. So um, I do want to still sort of get your opinion on matches that you love in wrestling. And we'll talk about a whole bunch of other things as well so it's less the pressure of like what would you watch on an island more so matches that you can still look back and even though as you say that the formula is there's only so far you can go with it matches that you still loved or give you a, a warm feeling at the time so if you were to pick three of those what would your first one be jimmy first ever favorite match was the career ending match at wrestlemania 7 between the ultimate warrior and randy savage you will never see my gods. Look there! Look over there! Look down! For you shall see the skeletons of warriors that have already fallen. But you will not, Macho King, find what you are looking for. For at Royal Rumble, you came to take something away. But you left something much more valuable behind. Lodged in my skull, Macho King, was a piece of the crystal of your kingdom. Your madness, that piece of crystal that you're searching for, that one last piece. They said, but warrior, it's lodged inside your skull. I said, sew it in. Leave it where it lays. If the man wants it, if the macho king wants it, let him take it at WrestleMania 7. For within that one piece of crystal, macho king, that you are so desperately seeking. I see you lie, Macho King. I see you lie at WrestleMania 7 before me as I stand. Not lay on top of you, but stand above you as I end your career. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. What goes up must come down. Oh, yeah. You soared high with the eagles, and now you must slither with the snakes. Because you challenged and said no to the Macho King. And that was your big mistake. Oh, yeah. Ultimate warrior, you got a very small, minute taste of the kingdom of the madness when you lost your belt. Now, at WrestleMania 7, you ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, yeah, you ain't seen nothing yet. But that belt that I took, that title that I took, it wasn't yours to keep anyway. You wore it, but I always was. And nobody ever denied it. With that match, you also have to include the aftermath uh, where Miss Elizabeth and Randy Savage reunite, which is such an emotional moment. Elizabeth with her arms outstretched. Tears flowing down, yeah! Look around! Everybody behind us in the whole inside area crying! It's a bizarre match when you look at it. When you look back at like the finish of it, uh, Ultimate Warrior uh, giving 
the Savage, the shoulder tackles on Savage, like falls to the outside and Warriors like go back in and then just puts a foot on him. It's a very bizarre anticlimactic finish, but at seven years old, it didn't matter to me. Uh, it was my first ever favorite match. Who are you cheering at the age of seven? I mean, I like them both. I mean, there's, there's a video of me, it, would have, it was January of 91, like dressed in my little red underwear like the Ultimate Warrior. It's actually selling eight by 10 of me at like six years old, the Ultimate Warrior. Those were two of my favorite guys. You know, the, the colorful costumes and the colorful personalities were, were definitely something that I was attracted to at a young age. Would you, who would you say was the first wrestler that you gravitated to at the age of seven? Was it Ultimate Warrior? Do you think it was? It was either Warrior or Savage. It was one. Of, it was one of the two. Yeah, those were two of my two of my guys. How did you fall into wrestling? Yeah, so I have, I have an older brother, and he liked wrestling. He's three years older than me, and if, you know, whatever. When you're a younger brother, whatever your older brother likes, like you're you're just de facto into that. Uh, my first memory of of wrestling was watching Mr. Perfect shoot a, a perfect game of pool at my grandma's house uh, on TV. Mr. Perfect obviously wasn't there. But uh, so that was, <laughs> I think that was like 89 or, or 90. Who would you have watched WrestleMania 7 with? Can you remember where you were and, and, and who well, was around I you? I didn't, watch, I didn't watch WrestleMania 7. Uh, I, I, I went to a, a, lo, a house show Leading up to WrestleMania 7, the main event was Warrior and Slaughter in a Cage. Um, so, And this is before the internet. So my dad uh, worked with somebody who was a wrestling fan. So it's like I would we would wait for my dad to get home from work the next day to get the results. It seems crazy to, that we went through that now and you feel like now everything is at the, 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 the end of our fingertips. Everything you could want is right in front of you. All Basically all information ever is at your fingertips. It's the instant gratification generation. Everything is just, it's the, it's the age of convenience. Yeah, it's, uh, it's different. How do you find that? I mean, you've, you've described it there as different. And, and I know that you're somebody who's been on an incredible journey with all of it lately. Do you find there's too much, it's, we've access to too much now? In a manner of speaking, you know, and for some reason I'm thinking of Mr. Feeney's, one of his promos he cut on Sean and Corey and Topanga about having all these access, all the access of all this information at their fingertips and what do they use it for to save the princess and kill King Koopa? And I think it's something like that. It's like we have all this information at our fingertips and what do we use it for to, you know, put filters on our Instagram and uh, take pictures and get likes from people. And look, hey man, there's nothing wrong with that per se, but all in balance. And um, I know my phone usage is out of balance a lot of times. And when you see, well, there's all this information accessible to us, and you do, but, but we choose not to access it. And even if we do access it, it's just, it's there, right? And so when things that have value take work to get. So if you can Google something, get the information right away, you have it, it's done, out. It's in one ear and out the other. You no longer have that information as opposed to a time where you would have to, you know, let's say, go to the library and read a book. Then you're putting in the time, because the time and effort that it takes to gain something is what makes that thing valuable. Um, so there, there's a, 
there's a trade-off. It's like, yes, you have everything in front of you. Guess what? Uh, because you have everything in front of you, uh, you don't care that you have everything in front of you because everything is there and, and, and the ease in which you have access to it makes it almost, well, worthless. Like, who cares about it? And then even when you get it, if you just press, if you press a button and it comes right to you, well, you don't appreciate it. You don't internalize it. So there's a trade-off um, to the age of convenience we have. You think of, um, of as a kid, the, the amount of video games and things that we played, but there was a select number of them because it would be a big deal to get one. Whereas now it's just, oh, you can you can buy three you can buy three in a go. If you don't like them, return them, play more, play more. It's just you're consuming all the time. And it's, there's something about going back to those classic things of owning tangible goods like games and and dvds i think you're the only wrestling podcaster i know that has a book you know you're the only person i know <laughs> who has that uh so i i stopped doing the podcast last um back in december i took a hiatus and just sort of never came back so sort of, I, I, I might I, I keep thinking about do, doing it again i've had a few people you know ask me hey what do you bring back the podcast uh and there are things that i do want to share with the world and connect with the world uh in ways in which wrestling uh can't uh can't afford me i suppose uh the book i'm personally reading right now is uh, a book called i believe it's uh, king warrior magician lover it's a story about or it's, it's a book about um the those four archetypes uh, which is interesting. So talk us through that book a little bit more if you're for those who aren't familiar. Yeah, so I mean there there's this I mean so there's a, a I believe it was a Jungian idea that there's there's these things called like archetypes which are um, energies that are like the that live in our collective subconscious that are are the ideal, right? The ideal energy. So the 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 king and the king energy and what that represents and how to come into uh, that energy, the king energy, the warrior energy, the magician energy, the 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 uh, lover energy, and uh, what what characteristics those archetypes have, and then looking at their 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 shadows as well the shadows being sort of the misplaced misguided distorted uh version of the archetype so when we talk about you know there's a the saying these days like you know the toxic masculinity it's like okay fine fair enough um because masculinity is a good thing but there's a there's a shadow version of it and you know so when people talk about toxic masculinity that's that's essentially what they're talking about. Uh, so it's it's just sort of an investigation into into those energies, how to manifest them, how to embody um, those things to really tap into the you know these four uh, male archetypes. Is there a moment in reading the book where you've connected with it on almost like a goosebump-inducing level, where you've gone like that is I get that now. There's definitely things that resonate with me where I go, oh yeah, I I I do this, you know, in, in the, the the shadow aspect of the magician, let's say, or or, um, or just even seeing the difference between you know uh, boy energy and and man energy. And this was a book I picked up 
probably about a year and a half ago, I started reading it and it didn't really resonate with me. And then the, the guy I work with, this Stephen Master, who uh, recommended I pick up the Maya Fascia Balls, uh, he recommended I read this book in, in, the, in the course we're taking. And I said, great, perfect. It's, it's one of these sort of serendipitous things um, or synchronistic uh, things. And I, and I read it in this, this read along. Uh, it resonates much more with me as I think me like, look, I'm a guy that's, I still, you know, I paint my toenails. I've worn you know, clothing that was made for women uh, for, for years. I don't so much anymore, but a guy that just sort of didn't care about gender, gender roles, anything like that. And in, and in that now, at 36, I realized, oh, there's an imbalance in in me. Like I have not become a man. I haven't walked into that that divine masculine energy. And I think that's a problem with a lot of people because we use words like toxic masculinity, which we get that conflated with masculinity in general. Masculinity is a good thing. It's good. It's good to have um, you know people that are decisive and have strength and don't, you know, and, and, and help out the people next to them and encourage people around them and all these sort of things that are associated with divine masculine. We are missing something in, in our society a lot of times, and we're seeing kind of like a, a, a weird pushback, right? Because whenever there's a, a, a lot of times when there's a correction, there's, there's then an overcorrection, right? And so I think that Men aren't encouraged a lot. I wasn't encouraged to be a man. I even thought the idea of like, oh, be a man, that was like, that was something to, to shy away from. Like that in and of itself was toxic, to be a man. Like, oh, what do you mean be a man? I don't, I don't have to be anything. I grew up on free to be you and me. I'll be however I want to be. Um, and if I want to paint my nails, fine. But what I realized is that I was missing a, a, a lot by by shunning a part a part of me because we're all part masculine and part feminine and to to shun this idea of masculinity was doing a disservice to me and then i noticed where the you know what different what you would say masculine energies that that were lacking in my life and i go oh okay some of this means i need to grow up i need to put on my big boy pants i need to be a man i need to be an adult and just figuring out wh where those energies are and i think it, it's good for everybody to not shy away from, you know, we, like we don't have any, we don't have any rituals in our culture that, that you go from being, that, and that's one of the things that I talk about in this book, uh, go from being a, a child to a man, right? We might have pseudo rituals, but we don't have somebody who initiates us and, 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 and helps us, you know, walk into that, into that role to be a leader, to be, uh, somebody that can be of support and, 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 and strength and, and decisiveness without it being muddled into that, you know, overly competitiveness, not, there's nothing wrong with competition, but that overly competitiveness and that, and that the toxicity to the shadow uh, side of, of, of masculinity. It's, it's in little things that you've done over the years that have sort of, of embodied what you've said there you know i look back at uh, your your run with with tna wrestling where you were the princess jimmy jacobs and it wasn't it wasn't said in a in a an ironic or a comedic way it was just like this is the character that i am and then to watch you doing it it's like okay this isn't 
because many would have portrayed or perceived it as being done for a joke or a laugh. But actually, no, it's not. It's actually in keeping with the character that you are, you know, somebody who this is, you know, you're playing sort of the, the, the pretty character. Of, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to have. And it's sort of archetypes attributed to a princess. And it just happened to fit what you were doing at the time. Yeah. And, and the, the, the character of that, the idea of calling myself a princess was always to be like, hey, I can be effeminate. I can have painted toenails and wear makeup, but I'll also bite your face off. Don't don't mistake the the look, uh, the demeanor for for weakness. And I think uh, I think I was missing that in my life. You know, I, I you know it's weird to talk about this stuff. Even feeling like I need to tiptoe around things, saying it's okay to be a man because people, you know, th there seems to be some sort of oh, oh no, you can't you can't be a you can't be a man. You can't say you're. Um, you know, you're trying to be masculine or trying to own your masculinity. These things are, are really um, seem like they're taboo to me. And uh, but that's something I was missing in my life was the was the part of me that goes, I'm going for it. The part of me that puts one foot in front of the other, walks out that door, you know, faces the unknown with the chest out and the shoulders back and with courage. Um, and, and that's something I was missing. And so I'm trying to engage more in that aspect of my life, you know, performing for, for Impact. You know, I still work there. I'm still a writer there. I'm still one of the, you know, the few guys that puts together those shows. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a fun time. I do enjoy performing. I love performing. I love going out there and, and putting on a costume and playing. It's, it's one of my favorites. I've done it for a very long time for a reason. Take another wrestling match. I think my next favorite match was Bret Hart versus Steve Austin from WrestleMania 13. That was one that, you know, I had sort of stopped watching wrestling in, in mid-94, 95, 96, I think when a lot of people sort of tuned out. And when I got back into wrestling in like 97, it was right after WrestleMania 13, and we rented the tape of, of WrestleMania 13, and for some reason that match just at 13 years old, just really, uh, really clicked with me. This is what WrestleMania is about. Headbutt by the Hitman. Bret Hart and Hitman Bret Hart going at it. Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stone Cold has him. Stone Cold has Bret Hart hooked from our vantage point. Tries to get him up and jam him right No! Bret Hart back body dropping, Austin down right the, there in the bleachers. Down the steps. That match ushered in me being a, uh, a Steve Austin fan, however briefly I was a Steve Austin fan. Back at that match, and it's it's still, it, it holds up, that match still holds up as uh, just an, an incredible performance between the two. What do you think it is about, about Steve Austin, or what was it about Steve Austin that, that drew you in? WWE grew up with me, or I grew up with it, right? Uh, when I was a fan in the in that boom in the 80s, it was or 90s really. I, I was that I was that age. I was the age for it. And Steve Austin at 13 years old, when I was 13, Steve Austin was the was the rebellious teenager that that I was. And I think that that's the thing that that really spoke to me. It's like, and I I think that has something to do with the the boom in the in the 
in the 90s. It's like if you were a kid in the 80s and liked Hulk Hogan, you were a teenager in the 90s and would have been right there with Steve Austin. When did you decide that instead of just watching it, it was something that you wanted to actually do? Well, so my older brother, he wanted to be a pro wrestler. And so when he was 17, I was 14. He was, he was about to graduate uh, high school and he found uh, a local wrestling school. And this is 1998. And so wrestling schools were starting to pop up all around because this is the, the, the boom of, of, um, of, of the attitude era was, was starting to happen. And there's this, there's this big trickle down effect where independent wrestling um, just starts to blossom as well. And so my brother founded school and I went with him the, the first day he went to check it out. It was my last week of eighth grade. And uh, just to give you an idea of how, I guess, professional the school was, uh, by the end of my trip there, I'm taking bumps in the ring and the, and the guy, the promoter's like giving me a razor's edge in there and all sorts of stuff. He's like, tuck your, tuck your chin, you'll be fine. Um, so, so yeah, and that was my, my, my last week of eighth grade. And that day in the ring, I was like, this is it. This is my home, this ring. And that was, you know, 22 years ago plus. What was something on that first day of training where you're, you're being given the razor's edge and told to tuck your chin in left, right and center? Tell me something from that first day of training that surprised you that you didn't expect about the wrestling world? Uh, well, look, it, it wasn't the first day of training. It was like my brother was going there just to check out the school to see if, you know, he could sign up and all this sort of stuff. And just it, there's the low level sort of school it was. They just left the 17, 14 year old. I mean, that's what surprised me is uh, they would just let two literally children <laughs> off the streets. Uh, they had two they had two rings in this in this warehouse and one of the rings was to this day the worst ring i've ever seen like i've never seen a word it was it had this canvas that was like this puke orange brown and it was like super lumpy and the ropes were just uh just regular duct tape and they were just really saggy and so they're they're doing their proper training in like the good ring, and then the uh, the trainers are like, yeah, you 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 two uh, go in the other ring and uh, let's see what you got. And so he just like let me and my brother go in this this death trap of a ring, <laughs> zero training, and we just we went in there and did what we thought pro wrestling was, which was like lock up, like with both our arms on our shoulders. I remember I did like like a cactus jack elbow off the apron. And Was there a moment on the independent circuit where you felt like you'd arrived? I mean, plenty of times. Mm. Uh, the, the first, you know, I started off refereeing. And the first, so the first show I refereed. And then the first show I did like outside of the, the you know, what the kids call like my home promotion, the, the place that I trained, uh, you know, going to Detroit and, and refereeing on the show there. And my first time uh, refereeing, uh, refereed a match with Jimmy Snuka. I was like 15 years old. And to me, that was like it. And, you know, then you know, my first match at Ring of Honor, I was 19 and I felt like, this is it. I've arrived. You know, we're leaving the building and fans are there with like, giving us roses it's like this is it 
I made it. Like my brother called me up. He's like, you did it, man. You made it for that, for that 50 bucks I got that night. You know, <laughs> That's amazing. There's, there's one, there's one aspect that I, I'm really keen to ask about. Cause I don't think I've seen it talked about in many interviews and it was, it was your, your role in wrestling society X. It was you and it was Tyler Black. It was do it for her. And that whole product, I, it was, it was ridiculously over the top and I loved every second of it. Like 30 minutes of car crash style wrestling. Uh, what was the Wrestling Society X ex experience like for you? It was a great experience for me. Um, partly because, yeah, it's kind of, I think, was I jaded at 22? Maybe a little bit. Uh, because I didn't expect anything out of it, right? I was, I was 22. I've been in, in the wrestling business for crap, like, seven years then. And so I already knew like, just not to believe anything. And because I, I think there was people who, look, I gotta give Big Vision credit, uh, Big Vision Entertainment credit, Kevin Kleinrock, amazing. They got wrestling on MTV, awesome. But also, um, I think there was this projection of like, oh man, this is gonna be huge, it's on MTV, all these amazing things are gonna happen. And I just didn't wanna hear any of it. I remember. I just didn't want to hear about all the things that are gonna happen, because you learn nothing happens till it happens, and even when it happens, it really hasn't even happened yet, because something has to come out of it, right? Uh, which is which is how, how this this show worked. It was like, yes, we were on MTV, but nothing came out of it uh, per se. But it was a it was a great experience. They took care of us awesome. We had a hotel on Sunset Boulevard, and me and me and Tyler, me and Seth. Uh, shared this hotel room and uh, they, they gave us per diem, which was huge because we're just like jabroni indie wrestlers and they paid us well and uh, we wrestled on a sound stage and it was it was great. It was a, it was a great experience to, to do that at, at 2022. Yeah, to do it so young, to be in such a, on a big platform, that's incredible. It really, really is. Um, a, a lot has been said about your time in WWE, so I don't want to dig into it, really, because, you know, you're on to bigger and, and, and more amazing things. Um, but the two questions I'd love to ask is, um, when you started working there behind the scenes, was there somebody that you got on with that you were surprised that you connected with? I think I was a little surprised. No, I, I was surprised on how well I got on with the, the writers. There's this perception, don't know anything about wrestling, they don't know what they're doing, and I was in the writer's room for about an hour before I realized like, oh, all these guys are really smart, and they, yeah, all these guys are really smart and know what they're doing. And so I, I expected to come in there like, you know, gotta show my worth, gotta show that I'm, you know, some sort of creative genius or, or something like that, and it was awesome to be humbled by these guys that were just, you know, they're, they're mostly you know, a bunch of different guys who have all these different talents and just a, a really great creative uh, group of people. The other thing I wanted to ask as well was um, with knowing what you know now and, and, and going through the time that you've been through, if you could, if you could have one conversation differently during your time there, what would it have been? Just leave on nice terms. Now look, it was great uh, getting fired for that for that picture and and the 15 minutes I had that ensued from there was awesome. It was a really it was a really great way to get fired to to then go and play on the indies again and, and, and play at Impact and you know all, all these sort of things. So it worked out well for me. But there's a part of me that just wishes I would have just 
been up front instead of being a child and acting out and you know having to get fired when we when we're struggling with stuff it kind of it manifests in weird ways and and i i think we've all been it's, it's very it's very relatable a situation like that where like we've become overwhelmed and especially now when so many of us are dealing with like self-isolation and lockdown like everything like builds up in your head and you can just have these out of character reactions to stuff so it's 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 incredibly relatable that that would happen to yourself yeah well i mean i think it, it goes back a little bit to to the conversation about you know this, this book I'm, I'm reading and the the archetypes and you know masculine energy boy energy man energy and it was it was this boy energy of me act i literally acted out i literally acted out and got in trouble because i didn't like you know you know i, I wasn't happy there right and the, the, the masculine, the divine masculine energy would have just, you know, confronted the situation and talked to my boss and said, hey, this is what's going on. I don't enjoy it here anymore. And it's probably, it's probably time for me to move on. Uh, now, that was scary. It, it would have been scary. I mean, I was, God, I was terrified to uh, lose that job because it's like, well, what do you do afterwards? Right. And it all turned out great because that's how the world works. But uh, at the time, the illusion was strong and it was scary that there's nothing there's nothing after WWE. So it's, it's that whole fear that there is no life beyond it, where more often than not now, more than ever, you see people not just surviving, but thriving outside of that system. And it's and it's and it's it, great it's, to see. It was such a blessing to get fired. It, it really it really was. They did for me what I just didn't have the courage really to do myself. And and they they fired me and let me go on this journey that I've been on, which is awesome. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over twenty years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash post. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You 
you said in a previous interview, and it's a phrase that stuck with me actually, because and I think it would have been with other people. Um, everybody should go to rehab. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and not not in not like a not an enforceable like you go now, but I mean more the case of like if you feel the need to like to shut away. I mean, you explained it better. What do you mean by everybody should go to rehab? Whether you're an addict or not, because you're addicted to something, and that something really ultimately is the the of your life that you're living right you you we all live in our, in, our, in our stories and the problem is that we get our stories confused with reality and they're not reality it's a perspective it's a point of view and we're conditioned to think no 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 the way i'm experiencing the world is, is it and it's like no it, it's not it you know, one of the, have you ever seen the, the show um, Westworld? Yes. So it's the cowboy it's, thing and they're all, and the, they're in the robot world. The, yeah, the, it does a brilliant job uh, showing that, that these, you know, this a, the AI robots there, they don't realize they're living in stories because they're not awake yet. They're not awake that they've been programmed. And so they live in these stories that just involve them getting murdered and tortured and raped and all this pain and suffering. And if you try to tell them they're living in a story, they, 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 they don't even understand what you're talking about. They just, they just keep going, and they keep going through all the pain and all the suffering. And that's everybody. That's what happens to everybody, is you are running certain stories, you know, running certain patterns, living a story in your life that's creating all this pain and this suffering, and you think that this is the way the world is, because you're seeing it through the small scope. And what rehab did for me was Take, it pulled me out of my story enough. For 30 days, you go away where nobody can contact you, nobody can bother you, no, like, no, none of the outside world problems are your problems. It's like 30 days away from everything where you just focus on you and making you, you know, let's say making you better for life, for the better term. That pulled me out of my story enough to give me a perspective to go, maybe, maybe the way I'm viewing the world isn't right. Maybe I got it all wrong. Allowing me to be open to the fact that maybe I don't know what's going on here. Maybe the way I'm living my life isn't right. Maybe my view on everything isn't right. And once I open myself up to being wrong, like maybe I'm wrong, it turned out I was wrong about everything. And it's fine. Uh, uh, accepting that your point of view is incomplete and inaccurate is one of the most liberating things you can do. Because you don't need to defend anything anymore. You know, you don't need to defend whatever. I don't want to get too con Like, look, I don't know if the world is flat or it's round, right? I don't know. I, like, you know, I have... I have I, I know what some people say about this. I know what some people say about this. And and, I, and I'm not a flat earther. Let me preface it with that. But I'm just saying I don't know. And it's good to go, great, I don't know. Some people say this. Some people say this. Now, if it's super important to me to figure out whether the earth is flat or round, I'll do a, I'll do a deeper dive on that. But I'm great going, yeah, I don't know about that. And I don't know about this. And I don't know about that. And I don't know about this. And I don't know about that. And even the things that... Sometimes we think our knowledge is just, no, that's a belief. You, you read it in a book, so now you believe it. And I heard somebody say it, now I believe it. I saw it on TV, and now I believe it. And starting to peel away 
like the things that I, well, I know this and I know this and I know this and I know this going, yeah, yeah, I don't know anything. Great. Awesome. You know, now, now, now let's play the game of trying to figure out the things that are important to me and I can learn those, you know? So the, all, all that to say is rehab facilitated um, me starting to let go of my point of view as reality. There's a great phrase from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. And uh, in that, one of the characters, I believe one of the creators of the Earth, uh, turns around. It's something that stayed with me. And he said, I'd rather be happy than right any day. And I love that idea. It's the case of I'm not here to, to fight and win arguments or anything like that. I'd rather just be wrong and just be all right. You know, <laughs> every yeah. day. And letting go of the need to be right. Because even if you're right... You're, you're, you're partly wrong too. And it doesn't, you know, it mostly doesn't matter, especially when you're talking, you know, an argument about this or that. It's like, who, like who, who, who cares really? And uh, like, like I said, the things that are important to you, you can do a deeper dive on and start to go, okay, what about this? What about this? And so I've spent the last three years doing a deeper dive on, you know, how to live and, and what's inside of me. And, and, you know, recently in the last six months it's been more about really how I take care of me how does my body mind soul complex work and how do I make sure that is in harmony you know those three pieces are in harmony also with 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 my surroundings with nature with mother earth with all of these things and when you start to figure out how to create balance with you and this I mean that's that's how health happens that's how high vibrational energetic levels happen you know these things that we you know we, we say things like happiness but it's like like fulfillment plus contentment plus you know um yeah all, all of that and so that's that's what i'm doing my deep dive on it's like there's other stuff out there and you, you know if you want to if you're really into something else it's like yeah do a deep dive on that but you don't need to hold on to the clutches of you being right about every small thing because that's how you view the world because guess what, you're probably wrong about it. I was, I found out how much I was wrong about just in my perception of reality as I started to examine what reality is and um, I'm probably wrong about a lot of the ways I view the world right now and that's okay. My, it's like my, my perspective is inaccurate and incomplete. I know that. There'll be somebody uh, listening today who will want to begin a journey like yours, who's probably in a situation where they are, they're struggling to find a meaning. What can you say to them to get them started? Yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. It's like, first you have to, you have to believe that there's a better way, right? And for so long in my life, I didn't believe that. I thought this was the game. I thought the game was, we all have these, these bottomless holes inside of us. And what we do on this planet is we try to fill the hole with temporary gratification and in different various ways. And maybe you do it uh, through you have a girlfriend and that's nice and I do it and I take drugs and that's fine. And you know, this guy's a wrestler and that's good too. Uh, but really it's just temporarily filling this bottomless pit inside of us 
for a, a brief, brief fix and go, oh, okay, things aren't bad and only to fall into the bottom of this pit again. And so you just try to gain and take and, ch and achieve to try to fill this thing up. I thought that was the game. I thought everybody was playing that game and that was it. And I remember asking my brother if he was happy and he said, yeah, I'm happy. And I was like, no, no, like, you don't need to lie to me. It's okay. You can tell me. Uh, oh, it's, and then it's like, okay, fine. You're lying to yourself. So I didn't think anybody was happy. I didn't think that was a possibility. I didn't think that was a, a, a place on the board where you could, you could be happy or be content. And so you have to at least believe it's a possibility. And I'm telling it's a possibility because I'm experiencing it. So hopefully that. Um, and like we talked about at the beginning here, there's a wealth of information. There's a wealth of resources in front of you. And it's a matter of if you want to take the time and do the work, because it is work, to, to go on this journey. It's the most fulfilling journey I've had in my life, far more fulfilling than 22 years in wrestling or 21 years in wrestling. It's the last three years of figuring out who I am and what's inside of me and how this thing operates and going on the internal journey, the journey of, you know, disidentifying with the ego and starting to, to figure out what's underneath the avatar, you know, going on that journey and going on the journey of figuring out how to become the person that I'm capable of being. And we're all capable of so much. We all have this untapped potential. Like anybody who's listening to this can think of, you know, one thing or one behavior they do that they would rather not do, and one behavior, one thing that they don't do that they rather would do. And you can start to piece together what would it mean if I started in optimal what would it mean if my life looked exactly like i wanted it to look what would it mean for me and what would it mean for the people around me and and that journey of trying to figure out how to grow into the space of my potential i feel like that's what we're all called to do there's a lot of distraction in this world. There's a lot of, you know, here in the U.S., we just had a, a, a debate last night. And it was, you know, I heard a lot of negative stuff about it, but I thought it was, it was great. It was a beautiful, magical reminder that the responsibility to make this world a better place lies with inside each and every one of us. And that, that responsibility cannot be outsourced to somebody else. That if you think that going into a booth, you know, once every four years, marking down a name and going, oh, they got it. It's like last night was a, if there was any illusion still, it was a break in the illusion to go, how could you possibly think that one of these two guys can be responsible for anything? But we play that game. We go, oh, boo, Donald Trump. Yay, Joe Biden. Boo, Joe Biden. Yay, Donald Trump. And it's a distraction. It's, a, it's an utter, utter distraction. It's like, what are they going to do? It, it's, it's up to me. It's up to me 
and it's up to you. Whatever's going on in the world, it's up to me and you and all of us. And that's why to me, this journey is our, our world is on the line in no uncertain terms. And, and I don't mean that in like this catastrophic way, like, oh, it's the apocalypse. I mean, if I better myself, I bring up the people around me. And if you better yourself, you bring up the people around you. And if, let's just say that you and I get our lives together enough, we might be able to bring up a lot of people. And those people might be able to bring up some more people. And if they get their lives together, they'll bring up more people. And that's how change happens. It's from the bottom, it's from the bottom up. It's not from the top down. And, and so if anybody wants to come on this journey, I would say, hell yeah. Come on this journey. Get, get, uh, one of the books that helped me early on is uh, a book called The Four Agreements. The Four Agreements is, um, it, it, some of the language is a bit uh, odd and esoteric in the first chapter, but it's one, of the, it's one of the books that first helped me to start to stop seeing my point of view as reality. Is the book list online anywhere? Uh, Brian and I only read three books. It was um, the, I mean, he reads like the book every week, books every week or something. He's insane. Uh, it was the, the 5 a.m. Club by Robert Sharma, I believe his name is. Uh, the Second Mountain by David Brooks and uh, the, what are they called? The uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Um, and th those are those are some those are some good good books. The the four agreements is the one I I tell everybody at the beginning of their journey to read. Maybe I, I've read it you know probably four times since then. I get something new out of it every time. Um, it, it's like there's a few principles that are really important to me. It's like one, your point of view is not reality. So whatever you're struggling with, you're actually just struggling with your point of view. That's it. You're struggling with your point of view. So if, so whatever's going on in your life. And you're like, oh, no, this thing out here is causing me suffering. It's not. It's your point of view of what's causing you suffering. Um, and, and, and starting to realize that, the delineation between your reactions to things and the outside world. And once you can start to free yourself from being controlled by the outside world, that your reactions to it and your actions, you know, you know this event happens and then I react to it. Uh, that I have free will and I can choose to react however I want. And then the outside world starts, stops having so much control over you and you can start playing the games you want to play and interact with the world how you want to interact without so much pain and suffering. I want to ask you for one more wrestling match. Uh, another match that, you, that you've loved over the years that you'd happily watch again, what would it be? Yeah. One of the matches that I guess, like, and I'm going to keep it all in WWF, I guess, uh, is Mick Foley and... Uh, uh, mankind and the undertaker inside that hell in a cell man that like when i was 14 that just like shook my world completely that was um that was it man and mick was my guy the pain that these two men are preparing to endure is inhuman how they will put their bodies on the line here is beyond description oh, and the undertaker says he's doing it you want me up there you want to come up there and fight I'm gonna come up and whip your butt. Oh my God. They're right above us, folks, and I don't like it a damn bit. Oh my God. Look out! Oh, oh man! The God Almighty! The God Almighty! They killed him! Oh my God. As God is my witness, he has broken in half! I, that, that one hits, hit a lot of emotional 
um, buttons for me at 14 and, you know, working with Nick over the years, it's been a pleasure and he's been a pleasure. And it's, it's so nice to see somebody like Nick who, who is into so many things and into so many charities and tries so hard every day to, to make the world a better place. I think he's a shining example for this world. Can you remember the first time you, you got to meet him face to face, knowing what a big fan that you were? Boy, I mean, it, it had to be, I don't remember the first time. It had to be Ring of Honor, I'm assuming, in like, cert- certainly by, by Ring of Honor 2004. I remember he told me to take niacin before I bladed. I remember that. Uh, that was October of 04. And, uh, you know, the first time we really worked together, uh, we did a, a match. I think it's online somewhere. It's me and Tyler Black, Seth Rollins, uh, at an indie show in Michigan in like 2009. And Mick Foley is the special uh, enforcer, maybe, uh, or, or something like that. Or he comes out halfway during the match or something. And he was just such a pleasure to work with. And I, I love Mick so much. Where are we? What is this? We're prisoners of our own mind, Jimmy. You know that better than anyone else. We are in our story. We are in our narrative. Right now, you're in mine. And uh, what's the EC3 narrative now? The narrative is what it's always been. Control, freedom, purpose. But the narrative's changed. The narrative's changed just a bit because finally the adversary I've been waiting to fight has emerged. The guy that uh, gave that black eye? Does it make you uncomfortable? part of me, every part of me is wounded. My body, my soul, my mind, Jimmy. I know I've been a lot of places. You don't know where I've been! It's been a wild year for Impact. Continues to put out incredible weekly shows. We've just had Slammiverse. We're moving into Bound for Glory. What stuff's coming up for, for with Impact Wrestling that you're particularly excited about? I mean, you know, Bound for Glory is... October 24th. I think we got a lot of buzz for Slammiversary uh, with, with all the new talent coming in, all the guys that, you know, left WWE, all the, yeah, all the free agents. And, and following up on that is exciting because it's like, okay, no more, um, you know, there's no more smoke and mirrors of, oh, who's going to show up? Uh, and so you're selling the show on the quality of the stories and the quality of the entertainers and you know, the quality of the performers. And uh, that gets me excited. You know, we've got um, Rich Swan versus Eric Young for the world title. I'm a big Rich Swan fan. I think he's an incredible performer. He, get, he, like, when he talks, it gets me in that right spot. He did a promo a few weeks ago uh, uh, asking, you know, begging uh, Scott Demore to let him, let him do this match even though his ankles hurt. And it just... He hits me right in that nice emotional spot. The same that nice emotional spot that Mick Foley would, would hit me in, man. That like that real like it comes from the heart sort of thing. So uh, yeah, man, I am excited about that. It's a it's a good uh, we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of good stuff, a lot of good performance there. Um, so I, I think that people that watch Impact like watching Impact. It's a it's a good show, and you know people that watch Raw generally don't like don't like it. Uh, but I think people who watch our show like it. Yeah, I, I don't know anybody that, that 
passively aggressively watches impact wrestling they're invested in impact wrestling which yeah. is which is a, a credit to you guys and it's the it's the fact that it's the it's the company that that just that continues and continues on and and i know that it's been talked about many times about the, the peaks the troughs the company's been in but one thing it's always been is consistent in ring and it's always been consistent full stop i.e it's always been there on a weeknight it's always been there and it's outlived nitro and I think that's a great stat that I love to throw at people. Impact has outlived Nitro. So really, we should be talking about Impact in the same, in the same way, if not more so, than we do with, with WCW, because it's the outlived Nitro. Sure. I mean, well, it's, it's you know, Nitro and Raw had a, 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 a historic um, rivalry in, in the late 90s. Uh, but you know TNA and now now Impact Wrestling, uh, it has had a long history. It's had ups and downs. You know, there's been good stuff and bad stuff. And when I came in in late 2017, Scott Demore had just basically taken over, and with with Don Callis as well as the two EVPs, um, there was so much damage on that brand. You know, there was so much damage on the TNA brand. There there had been so many, um, you know just uh, just bad business bad business you know i don't say false advertising but misleading advertising you know bait and switches all these things that just make you go and a lot of our goal just coming in especially that first year 2018 was just to make it not an embarrassing product to watch where people could watch the show and be like, yeah, man, this is good. Before it was like embarrassing to be a TNA fan. You couldn't tell anybody you were a TNA fan. And I, now I think, you know, slowly over the last few years, um, like I get people that tell me, yeah, man, you know, Impact Wrestling is the, is, it's the best show that, uh, that nobody watches. Um, and I, I don't know if nobody watches it, but for, for that figure of speech, uh, certainly, um, you know, it, it's, it's all about trying, us trying to get a, a larger audience on a product that that generally speaking I'm pretty proud of. And is that the goal going forward? Is it just more eyes and is there other that, goals that you've got going forward? That's my goal. Mm. My goal is to, you know, if you make something good enough that people are gonna show up and watch it. Uh, and you know sometimes raw proves the opposite, makes somebody bad something bad enough. Uh, people will still watch it, but uh, yeah, I, I think people who haven't watched Impact Wrestling in a while, um, I think it's worth watching. I think if you like good wrestling uh, with creative stories and some out-of-the-box stuff, and if you like the three circus, man, we do, we do a little bit of everything and they're cohesive stories. You know, the thing with like Raw and it's like what, what happened one week doesn't matter the next week, but doesn't matter the week after that. With, with Impact, we have very cohesive storytelling and you can follow any character's arc um, since they got here, since I've been here. And uh, yeah, man, I think it's a good show. Where can people go to find out all about you and what you're up to, Jimmy? On Twitter and Instagram at JimmyJacobsX. There's a jimmyjacobs.com too. It doesn't really say much about me, but uh, all my information is, 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 is wherever. And, you know, who cares? Don't, don't, don't look up me on, on social media. Go, go outside and play. Do something <laughs> else with you, please. <laughs> 
for all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes. Search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 